Hello and welcome back to episode 93 of Campbell Conversations with your host, Colin Campbell. Today's conversation, I'm pleased to be joined by Louis Blake. Louis is an entrepreneur and an angel investor. Today's conversation focuses heavily on Louis' self-development journey, the process and mindset that has driven his ability to start successful businesses across multiple different sectors while ensuring that he looks after his longevity and his health while doing so. Louis' own definition of success has changed radically over the years, and by many metrics, he was winning at life and smashing it at the age of 21. But we now dive a little bit deeper to understand how he found greater alignment to be happier and more fulfilled at the age he is now and doing what he's doing. I personally found Louis' self-awareness, clarity of purpose, and the strong habits and routines that sit behind that incredibly interesting, motivating, and no doubt you will too. Today's podcast is supported and sponsored by Factory Weights. Factory Weights provide high quality gym and fitness equipment across a range of different products. Dumbbells, kettlebells, barbells, plates, assistance material like chalk, plyo boxes, anything that you can think of that will support your gym performance or support your ability to work out wherever you are. Factory Weights have got you covered, whether you're training at home, training in a studio, or even in a full gym. You can get high quality fitness equipment, which is heavy on quality, but light on price on the Factory Weights website, which is factoryweights.co.uk. And you can save a further 10% by using the code CALL10. That'll be linked in the show notes below. So please check it out if you're looking for any fitness equipment. Before we dive into this podcast, I want to say a massive thank you. I got a number of birthday messages last week when I released the episode on my birthday, Sunday, 10th of October. I'm 29 and another year older, maybe a little bit wiser, but I'm certainly wiser for having conversations that are as deep and as in tune as the one that I've had with Louis that you're about to listen to. It was an absolute pleasure to be a part of it. And these conversations can only keep happening if you keep sharing the podcast with other people like you who are interested in improving themselves and working on their own journey. So please take the time to either pop this on your Instagram story just now and tag myself and tag Louis or copy and paste the link to a friend over WhatsApp and recommend they get involved in the conversation. Speaking of the conversation, we are about to dive headfirst into this one with Louis Blake. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Cambro Conversations. Today's conversation, I'm lucky to be joined by serial entrepreneur and angel investor, Louis Blake. Louis, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me, mate. Pleasure to speak. Um, I know I've been planning it for a while, so uh, yeah, really good, to, uh, really good to speak to you. Yeah, it's, it's yet another one where I've managed to reach into my network to connect with somebody who I've consumed your content over the years from afar. We've kind of been loosely connected on Instagram but we've got that mutual friend of ours, Mr. Chris Reeves. So fantastic of Chris to, to get us connected. And it's amazing how you can use your connections in social media to make social media a much greater thing than many people use it as, where it can be seen as a negative. But here we are, Lou, we've managed to use the positive aspects of it. For sure. It kind of feels like you know people, doesn't it, without knowing them, um, particularly when you've got mutual friends and you follow. And like you say, you know, I think that's one of the positives from social is using it in a constructive way to to follow people that you you get value from and, and can connect with and share ideas with and have conversations like this with. So, Absolutely. Now, I've introduced you as serial entrepreneur and there's so many things that we can go into in this podcast and angel investor and somebody 
for me, that seems like they've got an incredible level of self-awareness and I'm looking forward to diving into that with you, Lou. But in conventional terms, how would you describe yourself these days? Um, I think I, someone that pursues my interests and I'm open to that change and as my interest changes and as I, as I grow. Um, the word entrepreneur wasn't a word when I started doing what, what, what I do. It was very much a case of, oh, I don't want to do anything I don't enjoy. And I don't want to really work for anyone else. I was I was quite self-aware from a young age that I didn't get on particularly well at school being told what to do or what time to be somewhere. And so it didn't leave me much of a choice, sadly, because anytime I tried to, you know, have a job or do anything like that, it didn't work out very well. So, um, so you see, I would say someone that kind of, I, I pursue uh, passion, interest, uh, curiosity. And ultimately, you know, I, I consider myself fortunate that that's, that, that's led to me to, to do things that, are, that I, I find interesting. Have there been times where you've had to battle against that, Lou? You said there, like it's at school or working for somebody, you find that a challenge. Were there any experiences of that in your early life where you maybe felt that you weren't achieving because you weren't achieving within those kind of domains that are set for us at that age? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think school is kind of, you know, it, it, it channels the abilities of a certain kind of people. You know, if you're very good at remembering and regurgitating information, if you're very, very good at following instruction without questioning, then school will suit you pretty well. But if you're someone that's a bit more creative and, you know, there's a ton of different personality types. Essentially, school is a, a construct to provide workers for the Industrial Revolution and hasn't really evolved beyond that, sadly. Um, and so, yeah, I, I was someone that found myself not necessarily fully engaged with school. Um, I love the social aspect and there were certain subjects that I really enjoyed, but um, I, I didn't really see, see uh, school as something that was necessary for me for, the, for, for, for my life beyond, you know, a high school education. I think degrees and such are great if you're doing a, if you're pursuing a, a, a career which requires a degree, such as being a doctor or a lawyer or, or, or something like this. Um, for me, I just wanted to do something that I loved and something that I thought was interesting and added value. And initially that was football and that's kind of evolved over the years into a number of different things. And I'm sure we'll continue to evolve as, uh, as, as I get older. It's weird, isn't it? You know, I'm, I'm 31 and I still don't think I actually, I know what I want to do and I love what I do now, but I'm always open to that changing and being something new. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's interesting. You mentioned football at the start there, cause I know that that was where some of your first businesses lay. And then even some of your more recent projects have been in that space as well. But I wanted to ask, how did the book Master Key System by Charles Hannell impact your thoughts in your life at quite a young age? Yeah, I don't, do you know what? I really wish I could remember how I discovered this book. I, I think I was looking on the internet and I was looking for, I, guess I was living in Mexico at the time for context. Um, I didn't really know anyone else there. I knew a few people, but you know, I had a lot of downtime, a lot of time to, that I chose to use by, by doing a lot of reading. Um, and I was really interested in personal development books. And so I found a book, as you say, called The Master Key System. And essentially, it is a series of, uh, of paragraphs that are essentially instructions. So it's almost like a mini course. So, you know, it's written in sentences. So you follow the sentences, you do a chapter, you do an exercise at the end of the chapter, and then you're supposed to wait a week and then go back to it the next week. And essentially, what it teaches is how to uh, improve your imagination so that you can construct images and, and, and visualizations of what you'd like to create and how you can learn to attach belief to those visualizations in order that you might manifest them. And it was at a time where, you know, I didn't really have a lot to lose. I was living in Mexico, I was enjoying myself, I was coaching football, I was having, having fun. 
and I decided that what I really wanted to do was open my own football academy. And I was going to have this certain car, which I now look at and think was a bit of a hairdresser's car, but there we go. <laughs> Very typical, like white, uh, it was a white uh, convertible Mercedes and I was going to have this big football academy and I could re I, I worked on this vision for a while and lo and behold, gradually it, it manifested. And then I was like, wow, you know, I think belief in anything uh, compounds the, the the effect to which it works, right? So I saw it work. I saw these these visualizations come true, and uh, I then used it again and again. And the book's been something that I've I've gone back to. I think with books, you know, you can you might read a book at the first time from a certain level of perspective, and then you grow. You you know you have some experiences. You you grow as a person. And when you go back to read that book again, you read it from a a different place and you can get different things from it so it's a book that i've gone back to over and over again it's a book that i recommend to people it's a book that's really helped me to improve my uh visualization practice and to really understand to have a kind of a a system that i can use when i when i want to kind of bring something to fruition i want to put a pen in the manifestation piece and come back to that but you were saying that when you went out to mexico as a young guy doing your football coaching you had this passion for like voraciously reading mm. but at school you weren't deemed as somebody that was academic away from school did you find it easy to read and dive into texts that you really cared about yourself i mean i think our our generation and i would say when i say our generation i'd say you know if we we're aged late 20s early 30s we were quite fortunate in that we were one of the last generations that didn't have technology in our hands 24 7 and so, you know, it seems strange to think back now, but, you know, you'd have to take it and turns on the computer and someone couldn't be on the phone at the same time as you were on the computer. And, you know, and, you know, you're allowed an hour on MSN a night to chat to your mates from school. But, you know, otherwise, particularly in the winter months, if you weren't training football, you know, there wasn't a huge amount to do if you, were, if you weren't watching TV and such. So I've, I read a little bit when I was younger, but not a lot. And I think the, the reason that I chose to, to, to read um, when I went to Mexico was because, um, one, the lack of access to, to, to TV and, and, and internet, etc. But two, that I had this real um, burning desire to achieve something. And I almost felt like I was supposed to achieve something, if that, if that makes sense. You know, I had this thing where I really don't want to waste my time and I really want to want to try and be someone that, that, that's successful. And I think in order to do that, I understood that I'd need to improve myself. And what better way to improve myself than to lean on the some of the greatest minds that have ever existed. Maybe we can't be friends with them. We can't have regular conversations, but we can read their their best work and their best thoughts. So, so that sounds, seemed like a, a logical step to me. It sounds logical. And I guess to dive into that, I'd be interested to know, do you feel that that drive to achieve something and that belief in yourself came from genetics? Did it come from nature? Did it come from nurture? Did it come from experience? What created this? I think, I, I think it's something that can be learned. I think there's a, I think, you know, I was fortunate that the way I was brought up was that we weren't given everything. And so if we wanted someone, we had to work, for, we had to work for it, or we had to find a way to go and get it. I think I saw people around me that were, uh, that were achieving or, you know, online, et cetera. And I thought, you know, that's, you know, I, I want to go out and be someone that, that achieves. And I guess an, an innate kind of feeling and, and sense of wanting to, you know, do better and, and be more. Um, I've, I've spoken about before, I had an experience when I was 16 where a close friend of mine was killed. Um, I was involved, I was standing next to him. And I think when something like that happens to you at a young age, you have a, uh, a real sense of mortality. And that sense of mortality kind of teaches you that, wow, like life can be over like that. 
I don't want to waste or I don't want to, you know, you feel like almost obligated to go out and, 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 and do something worthwhile because life is so precious. And, and that, that lesson re really kind of um, solidified in me that the, the need to, to, to want to go out and, and be more because I was almost given this gift to, to still be here and to still be able to, to go and do it. Tragedy like that often shapes us. And we were saying before we hit record, our close friend Chris Reeve speaks so passionately about the loss of his mother. And it's helped me feel even more grateful for the time that I do get to spend with my parents at this age. And to hear you say that that experience at, at 16, where your friend passed away next to you, has helped to drive you forward to where you are alongside obviously some sort of ideas and and thoughts and feelings that were already implanted within you is incredibly interesting how these events can be like the trigger for mm. putting the foot down to move forwards. I think it's a real lesson now. I mean, when we're younger or not even when we're younger, but I guess the first few times we have really challenging circumstances thrust upon us, the first reaction is, why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to me? You know, we, we, we push it away. We don't want to face it. We, we, we almost avoid challenge. And our culture has evolved in such a way that it's almost been easy to avoid challenge. We're so comfortable. We don't really have any real problems, you know, in, in the culture that we have at the moment, at least in, in comparison to, to, to history. And so what I've learned, I suppose, is that to lean into these challenges, because on the other side of these challenges, we, we, we get what we need to grow and be better. You know, if you look in... For, for, for your own experience and I can look for my own experience and actually all the times I've leveled up have been through the most challenging times and so now what I try and do is to seek regular challenge because I know it's through that challenge that I'm going to become a better person and better that I want to do what I want to do if you're you know I know you're into your fitness and training in the gym if you go into the gym every day and do do an easy workout you don't improve if you go in and you know it's it's that little bit tougher and it's that little bit harder and you're uncomfortable this is where all the growth comes from. And this is a, an attitude that I've tried to take into, into business, into, in, into all areas, because ultimately I know that it's through those really challenging times that I'm going to become better. And sometimes you will fail. Sometimes it won't, you know, you won't come out of it uh, how you might think you will, but you still learn through that and you're in a position to go and try again. And I, I think that's a, that's a really important understanding. And where we don't have those kind of challenges that, challenges in our lives, we can choose to go and pursue those challenges. And we need to, we need to, because especially over the last year, we, we could have it so easy. You know, many, many people have been put on furlough. They can sit at home, they can watch Netflix, they can have their food delivered. They don't really have to get up and do anything or, 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 or really push themselves. And it, it's, it's never been harder to find that challenge, but it's never been more important. Generating struggle is something that more and more of us need to do. And you mentioned there, fitness and training and I consider myself incredibly privileged to the lifestyle that I lead and I have to generate some sort of struggle in the gym some sort of close to failure repetitions or something like that to push myself mm -hmm. equally a lot of my friends do cold showers cold water therapy and um, even this morning I was joking like I actually in a kind of sad way was kind of pleased that the weather was a bit bad for my morning walk before work because it felt like oh well I'm actually generating something that's a bit difficult I kind of creating a callus as our friend David Goggins might say when it comes to like doing difficult sure. things but that's that's so minor on the scale that you were saying you were kind of hinting towards that our kind of evolutionary fathers went through something that was far more difficult than the lifestyle that, <laughs> that you and I lead nowadays so we have to seek out our struggle and our own challenge 
What are some of those that, that you do, Lou? And there's a sense of purpose in that as well, right? I mean, at the moment, you know, we, we've evolved genetically to, to survive. You know, it's, we, our, our primary instinct is, is, is survival. And with that has been a, an, an innate pessimism, you know, because, you know, say you and I were walking around a corner, our pessimistic self, you know, we, we take a peek and we make sure there's no danger there because we, we have to, because it might be a saber-toothed tiger that's going to eat us. If we're optimistic, we walk out and we potentially get eaten. So it's understanding our evolutionary features in such a way where they don't hold us back in the present, but equally channeling those features in such a way that we're not bound by them. You know, because if you go out into the world and you're, you're, you're consistently pessimistic and you expect bad things to happen, energetically, you, you emit that vibration where you attract those bad things to happen to you. Whereas if you're someone that's optimistic, you're a pleasure to be around, you expect good things to happen to you, you know, you're, you're of a better mind and therefore your experience of life is better. So it's, a, it's, it's necessary to have that, that, that degree of understanding, I think. I want to take a step back because you've, this is why I like, love, like listening to you speak, Louis, because you've linked it back to manifestation there about how we expect things to happen and how we think about what the future might look like. So balancing that pessimism and that optimism to have a pragmatic, but overall generating the kind of things that we want in the future. So it's, I'm, I'm glad we put the pin in it, we, 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 but we've come full circle all the way back to it. So you were manifesting to build this football academy, to have this white Mercedes. How did that start to come about when you came home from Mexico? So I think to, to, to make a point on that initially is that if we, many of us, and, and, and me included still now, and I catch myself, I often catch myself when I do it, when something bad happens to us or something good happens to us, we're very quick to judge it without the entire context because we only have the vision on the current situation, right? So I think it's important to to be to be to train your mind to be resilient when bad things happen, you don't immediately judge them. Seemingly bad things happen, you don't immediately judge them as bad. Because often they we're we're being led in the direction that we want to go. And so I guess what happened was it was very practical. I think it has to be very practical. I wrote down exactly what I wanted to achieve. I created a vision board of what, exactly what I wanted. I revisited it every day in my meditation. I said, this is what I'm going to do. And I, I let go of the, uh, the attachment to how it was going to come about. I focused just on the end goal. So I'm not going to try and con control the how. I'm just going to think, think about the what. And I'm open to, to, to the how. Um, because, you know, we, we, we're not necessarily, we can't always see the way that these things will come about, right? Um, and, and for me, I guess the way the way this came about is I had a really bad tooth, actually, in Mexico, and I needed to get it resolved, and I couldn't get it resolved there, and I ended up coming back. And when I came back, I was resisting coming back. But when I did come back, I made the connection with someone that ultimately led to me setting up this football academy. And so, you know, it was something that was seemingly bad that led to something that was the right thing in order to facilitate that happening. Um, and, you know, once it happens once for you, you use it again and again, and your belief in it compounds the effect. I think it's it's useful to start with small things, you know, in order to train yourself to really believe. Because if you go out there and say, right, I'm going to tomorrow, I'm going to I'm going to receive 10 million pounds. And like, you don't actually believe that. Right. It's almost, you know, your you, your subconscious doesn't believe that's possible. Whereas you start with something small and you use this, this strategy, this technique and you meet it with action and then you bring it about, your belief level increases and then you're more likely to be able to believe in it when you do it again. Yeah, um, it's it's almost like scaling things and we can use that fitness example of building the weights up progressively because like you say, if you went from 
zero to 100 in terms of from nothing to I'm going to be a multimillionaire tomorrow. Like you say, it's so unbelievable that it's impossible to envisage how that might occur and mm. to then manifest that you're almost lying to yourself. And I think there's a massive difference between manifesting something and planning it as you did in terms of these vision boards, your meditation, your visualization is radically different to delusion. Well, there's a degree of patience that's needed. And I think that's what our generation is really lacking at the moment. I think because of the, the comparison that we have to other people, particularly when it comes to Instagram and, and, and how things appear to be happening so quickly, you know, we're, we're very impatient with, with, with our goals a lot of the time. And I, you know, from having this first business, you know, 12, 13 years ago, it really took me a good few years to have one that I was, was working and I was happy with like years. It's probably taken me nine or 10 years to be in a position where like, okay, I'm aligned on purpose and I'm enjoying what I'm doing. I'm in a position where it's making the money that it can grow and I feel good about it. Do, do you know what I mean? Like that, that's a period of 10 years. Whereas I think we, for many of us, because we, we, we look to things like Instagram, we, we have this expectation that, okay, we, we, we do deserve it. We all deserve what we want to, to come about. Probably we, we meet it with action, et cetera. But to expect things to happen like that is, is an unrealistic expectation and, and not, and it leaves many of us disappointed when it doesn't happen. Then we say, ah, oh, all this woo-woo stuff doesn't work and you know we, we give up very very easily we're not the most resilient in pursuit of our goals for many of us people that aren't listening carefully enough would call it woo-woo but you've said two key words throughout that and that's patience and action and the second of those action is so fundamental to where you've ended up and the things that you've achieved throughout your 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 career Lou um, there's, a, there's a strategy to this. There's a, there's a strategy that, that I don't even think about. I, I have a bigger picture goal, I suppose, but ultimately I'm like, okay, what are the controllables that I can control? Like, what are the things that if I do these things every day, I do these things every week, I do these things every month, if I tick these boxes consistently, I know it, it, it can't it can't fail, right? So you just make so you just focus on those small daily actions i know if i get up at five between five and six if i do that morning routine if i read that book a week or every two weeks if i choose to listen to podcasts rather than music on the way to work if i go to those events if i make these you know you have this you find this formula and you say right i surrender control of the how i'm going to focus on the controllables and i'm going to keep the goal in mind and i'm going to be adaptable and open-minded and you just focus on those things instead because you can control them like any of us can get up uh this the set time and have a 30 second cold shower but like anyone can do that anyone can choose to listen to a podcast like this over music on the way to work you know these are these are these are easy actionable things but these are all things that when you stack them all together these are the habits of success like we, there's there's a blueprint we haven't got to, we haven't got to invent anything you can look at okay who are the the 20 people or 10 people that are where i want to be there's numerous examples find out what they do. And most of them talk about what they do. So that's not hard either. Look at the consistent themes and just replicate it as well. I've done. I'm like, okay, Tim Ferriss is a great example. What is Tim? What's Tim Ferriss's morning routine? Cool. I could do that, that, that cool. Aubrey Marcus, like these, these guys who are, who are in a position that I, I aspire to be in. I look at what they do. I adapt it for me. I replicate and I, and, and I can continuously action. And it works. There's a reason it works. And if it's consistent across all of these people, then it's quite obvious, I think. 
I, I, I can't say how much I love that. And I think that's, again, another element of social media that's positive because if you are very selective in who you follow and who you consume from, you've called out there Tim Ferriss and Aubrey Marcus, you're able to look at what they do within the daily routine, what they're sharing, what they're telling you about. And straight away, that's been far more beneficial to you than some of the memes or the reels or the TikToks that you could have absolutely filled your mind with that albeit sometimes provide some light humor which is again an important part of being healthy and whatnot anything, anything with alpacas you've got me i'm there yeah it's got <laughs> your attention it's dangerous isn't it but equally clearly you've focused your attention on other things which has led you to build a lifestyle and a set of habits and routine which you believe is the roadmap to where you want to go what what does your morning routine look like louis this morning it wasn't great as i said to you before we came on because i flew back into the uk last night and i left my house keys in a different city so uh i've had a and this is you know what i i know this is true but i've really learned today just how important sleep is and i noticed that if i sleep less than six hours a night my productivity in the day is far less things are a lot a lot harder my body's not recovered i couldn't train today i normally train every day i, I find it possible to train today my normal morning routine is um regularly i get up between 5 and 5 30. um i have a cold shower or if i go to the gym i have an, there's an ice bath at my gym um sauna most days in the morning um i normally do my meditation in the sauna if i'm at the gym if not i do it do it at home i stretch yoga and i have my have my uh, my water and my over my ginger or my turmeric or my tea or my mushrooms as i, as I mentioned before um, and on the way to work or wherever I'm going, I have a podcast, audio book, or I take a physical book on the train. And that's just a quick kind of one hour to two hours if, if I train, which I, I normally do in the mornings. Um, that's my regular morning. And then in the evening, I stretch again. Um, I read before I sleep. Um, I've got a grounding mat in my house. So I, I ground before I, before, I am, before I go to bed. And I meditate when I get in bed before I fall asleep. And sometimes I do some breath work at night as well if I haven't done it in the morning. And it varies day to day, but essentially I, I do something along those lines. And what I find that that does is it enables my day to flow a lot better. Where I would get triggered easier, I don't so much. Where things get hard, I, I go back to those things in the morning. And when I say meditation, you know, it's not that I sit there for half an hour and, you know, lose all thought. I, for, for me, meditation is I go through a gratitude process and I'm, give thanks for all the things that, that I'm grateful for. And it puts me in a good state of mind. Uh, I do some breathing where I do try and clear my mind. And then I go through a series of mantras that I return to that work for me that I have to remind myself of certain things. And I notice that if I do that in the morning, my day goes a lot better. I notice that if I get in the ice bath and get in the sauna, which I do most days, my body feels a lot better. You know, if I take the right things in the morning, I feel better. I, I feel, feel more alert. And so, putting that morning routine together and that, that nighttime routine has been incredibly beneficial. Like I can't recommend doing, do, doing that enough. And if you look across elite performers, uh, business people, etc., you'll see that most of them have a similar routine. Um, there's a book called the 5am club, which is, which is a great one for, for, for stuff like this. There's a book called my miracle morning. Um, you can listen to people like Jocko Wilnick and you know, who all, talk about similar things but have their own take on it and i think we have to 
look to these people and then find our own ways. And it may be that you're someone that works late and you can't do that at 5 a.m. But it's, get up, you know, what I, what I like about it is I was someone that used to get sucked into being out very late. So someone would call on a social event and I'd be, yeah, yeah, yeah I'll be there and I'd be out till midnight and I'd get try and get up at 7, 8 and feel bad. Because I know I've got to get up at five, I rarely do anything beyond nine o'clock. I'm normally in bed by nine, half nine most nights. And if on a weekend I've got something on and I want to do something social, I'll stay out a little bit later. But during the week, I'm, I'm pretty consistent with that, with that 9 p.m. bedtime. I think one of the things that I'm most glad that you've shared there is the fact that there has to be work done in the evening beforehand to make the morning routine happen because far too often you see people turn over a new leaf, have a resolution, have this plan to have this amazing in-depth morning routine, but they haven't been willing to take off the sacrifice, that hour Netflix or that hour scrolling Instagram before bed, which has disrupted their sleep, which is made them in a worse position to get up early and actually contribute. And they'd be better off getting an extra hour in bed if they're not going to be able to get to bed early enough to, to generate enough kind of REM sleep to. I think we've got to set ourselves up for success. So, you know, I think it's probably easier, if you, you know, if you're someone that's new to it is saying, okay, tomorrow I'm going to do this one thing in the morning. Do you know what I mean? And you stack it and you get used to doing that one thing, one thing at night, one thing in the morning, you start there because, you know, if you set this, this, this audacious, aspiration that you're going to do these 20 things every morning you're not going to do it i i wouldn't whereas if you start with that one thing and you do that consistently you know you build that habit and then you start to lay those habits on top it becomes a, it becomes a lot easier but yeah you're right prepping in the evening is important if you you, are, you know i think there's a lot to be said I've, i'm getting more into the bio, biohacking stuff and, and looking into to, to, to these kind of these hacks and you know but I, I wear glasses with blue light blockers in so that i'm not looking at if i am looking at a screen later doing things like this i'm not having the same impact on my eyes i don't have the wi-fi on at night i leave the phone away from me um th these things are important as well to help you get the right sleep because as i learned last night if you're running on what, last night i probably slept three hours it's really difficult to function properly the next day and you, you're not going to feel good and then the knock-on effect is you're not going to do those routines that are going to make you feel even better so yeah of course lee you mentioned when you were talking about your businesses and finding purpose like nine, 10 years down the line in terms of being genuinely happy. Along the way, I've heard you say before that you maybe assigned a level of aspiration towards particular successes that weren't in line with your values. How did you maybe get lost along the way where you had the football academy up until present day? I think culturally, socially, we reward behavior centered around um success in the sense of money financial success only and for me the definition definition of success in the early stages was I, I suppose for me to feel successful i had to look successful to other people and that's a really difficult thing to think about yourself because when you think that about yourself you know you, you feel a bit you don't really like that part of yourself right I mean, it's, it's, it's really difficult to, to to face up to that but you know ultimately i was trying to be successful because I wanted other people to validate me because I didn't like myself very much. I think that's really what it came down to. And then the way I think success has changed for me is that success is doing, feeling fulfilled and doing what we want to do in ourselves and, 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 and having a level of empathy and love for ourselves, doing, doing, you know, the progressive realization of an idea that we think is worthy for our life. Um, 
And so, you know, if you're someone that's passionate about scuba diving, that might be working full time in a scuba school and a beautiful place. You might not be getting paid incredibly well for it, but you're doing what you love and you, you know, you're, you're into it. Again, someone that's, you know, working in, in banking, doing 70 hours a week, but they're spending all that time sat scooped up in an office and they're making all this money, but they're never able to spend it because they don't enjoy that experience. They then get wasted every weekend and never actually enjoy the money anyway. And so I think there was a realization that, you know, yes, money to a certain degree is important. I think when all, once all our basic needs are met, once we have surplus to be able to uh, enjoy an, an element of, uh, of freedom beyond that point, the money doesn't equate to more happiness. It's really about more purpose, more enjoyment and uh, more fulfillment in our work. And, you know, I found that through, through, through adopting a plant-based diet through, you know, choosing businesses that I believe were more beneficial to the planet and seeing that I was able to have an effect on the world around me was rewarding. And, you know, you could say that's an element of that is, is, is selfish and wanting to, you know, wanting to see the impact on other people in, in, in that way. Maybe that's just the ego shifting, but I think it's certainly something that's more positive than the way I was choosing to go about it before. Yeah. But by many metrics, you had a lot of success at 21. What were you up to at that point? So I, yeah. And you know what? It, it was fun at the time. It was a lot of fun, but it was, it wasn't purposeful in the sense that I didn't feel like I was really contributing anything beyond getting people drunk. So I was, I had a football academy and we had an events company. So we we're throwing parties in numerous cities across the UK. Um, and we, we had a nightclub of our own at one point. Um, then we had another nightclub with some different people, um, continued to do parties and then moved to London, was doing a lot of stuff with nightclubs, etc. here. And you now it was fun, but it was very surface level and it fed into that thing of wanting to appease other people and becoming a bit lost. And I think there's, there's, it's great to be able to in, in, enjoy yourself, you know, to go out and, you know, and if you, if you can do that in a way that, that you're conscious of the impact it's having on you and you know when when enough's enough, then that's great. But my personality through the various introspective self-aware work that I've done is such that I take everything to extremes. So, you know, it's, it's drinking too much, drinking too regularly, becoming a bit lost in it. And I, and I did get a bit lost at one point. Um, and... But, but, you know, that was actually, in hindsight, a great thing that happened to me because it led to what I'm doing now and went so far to the bottom that I had a massive kind of awakening experience and it really taught me about myself. But, um, yeah, but it was very, very self-destructive at that point. What was some of the work that you did to change around? Was it simply that move to a plant-based diet in 2015? Yeah, so the plant-based diet was huge because I, I believe that it's impossible to feel motivated, inspired, um and fulfilled in an unhealthy body you know if you're if you're sat there and you've got a headache and your stomach's aching and you and you, and you and you feel tired you can have all the money in the world around you you can have all the best experiences but ultimately if you feel shit then your experience of life is going to be shit so that's the first thing to address i think health is the most important important thing in the world and it's something that's so undervalued in in, in, in business and in entrepreneurship to really prioritize your own well-being both in terms of mental health and physical health and so that helped with the physical health and then the mental health i had an experience with with plant medicine um and it was just a profound deep 
I mean, people say that it's like doing 10 years of therapy in, in, in five hours, you know, and it was something, it was like holding this giant mirror up and seeing all the parts of myself that I was trying to resolve and all the trauma and all the, the, the things that I, I didn't want to face up to and the parts of myself that I didn't want to recognize as me and having to resolve those through that experience. And it's something that I've gone back to and used again. And ultimately that, 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 um, that, that series of events has led to kind of, you know, the, the work that I've gone on to do today. So that enabled you to better understand yourself and understand what you maybe truly care about. Hence why, if you look at your investment portfolio now, it's largely businesses that align with the plant-based um, goals and ambitions. So it's plant-based restaurants, it's plant-based, uh, even the plant-based pizza company that you've, uh, you, you've invested in as well. So it's, it, it's very interesting how that one lifestyle change alongside your experience with plant-based medicine has led to you feeling a true purpose and identity. And then everything just needs to be aligned with that to, to best serve you. Yeah, I think honestly, the one of the one of the big parts of it, you know, and I, I, I go back to 2015 and to, to provide context. If you are a guy in 2015 and, you know, you play football, you go out drinking, you're into designer clothes, you're, you're a typical 25 year old guy and you turn around one day and say, I'm a vegan. It's not like it's not it's not like a normal thing. Right. And it, it led to. I think had I not had that experience of plant medicine, had I not had that kind of awakening, I cared too much prior to that about what other people thought that I wouldn't step outside that cultural norm and follow a path that I believed in. And I think that authenticity and that staying true to a, a, a learning and an and a understanding that I had has paid dividends multiple folds. And I think many of us, perhaps we have aspirations to do other things and we never step into them because we're so concerned about what other people think particularly as men when it's something that exists outside of the the the, the intended role of a, of a man or the intended you know masculine trait like you know, for me to stand up and say like i was doing talks on stage about veganism and talking about the impact on animals and saying like, like i care about and like that that doesn't correlate with the expected masculinity um, or, or gender roles that we, that we, we grew up with, where you need to be strong, you can't cry, you got like meat, like all this stuff. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's in, in fact, it's mostly the opposite of that. And so we have to be very, very comfortable with ourselves to step outside of that and, and say who we are. And it's similar to things around mental health when, you know, as guys, when we're not supposed to say, I'm struggling with this, or I feel this, or, you know, and we, we don't. And then that behavior, because we suppress it, it manifests itself in different ways. And one of the ways it manifests itself is we, again, understand our biology. When we evolved, about however many years ago, you know, we're, we're, we're evolved in a hunter-gatherer pack culture, your survival was contingent upon you belonging to a group. So biologically, our body produces chemicals that rewards group behavior that makes us accepted by the group. So I do something for, good for you. I get a chemical reward because my body recognizes that by doing something good for you, you do something good for me. We're in cooperation. I'm more likely to survive. We're built to survive. So you take that, this ancient hardware, put it into the modern day. And, you know, we are still 
doing things to appease the group, even if that's not true to who we are. And we don't necessarily, you know, that we have the world of the internet now where we connect with people that like what we like all over the world. We don't need to just stick with that one group because we're scared and we, we have to, you know, grow with them. So I think there's a, there's a real power in finding what you authentically care about and what you believe in and having the, the conviction and the self-awareness to step out of the immediate environment and the immediate friendship group and the immediate situation you're in to pursue something that really speaks truly to you. And equally, I don't think enough of us spend enough time with ourselves in isolation or question or question ourselves enough to actually understand what we actually like. You know, like, you know, we buy things, you buy certain clothes and you think, well, I actually bought that. I've seen someone else wear it. And so I, I want to buy it because they're wearing it and I look up to them. But if you actually know what you actually like, it's probably not that. But again, it's the group thing, right? So I think self-awareness and being met with the courage to, to be yourself is one of the most rewarding things that we can pursue. So many brilliant points there and completely agree when it comes to this tribe mentality and our evolutionary drivers wanting us to be part of groups and and whatnot and it seems like you've now found a community within the vegan community as well which i think is important but the question that sprung to mind when you were saying that was was there during that transition period some challenges with your initial friend group and your current friend group and you had to maybe spend time away like you've said there to really delve into louis what do you actually care about here I think I, I love to mix with lots of different people from different ages, different backgrounds, different interests, because I think it, I'm just interested in people. And I think that's how we learn. Um, you know, I, I, I don't need, I'm so open to my opinions being changed at any point by anyone. Um, I'm, I'm not married to my beliefs as such. And, you know, equally I can hear someone else's opinion and hear it as an opinion and not necessarily judge them by that opinion. I think that's something that's really missing in our current cancel culture not being able to em empathize or, or, or discuss points with other people, because that's ultimately how we grow by having interactions with people that have different opinions to us. So, well, okay, tell me how you got to that conclusion. Why do you think that from a place of genuine interest, not, well, that's, that's not true. That's like genuinely. So I was interested to, to, to meet new people. And I always have been, and I'm kind of someone as well that I don't have like a set friendship group. But I'm, I'm friends with different people from, from different backgrounds. And so, it wasn't that I necessarily then wanted to hang out with lots of vegan people. I was more interested in telling people I was hanging out with the things that I'd learned and, and, and discovered. Um, but yeah, it was definitely, it was a challenge. It was a process where it was challenging. Like even to put on Instagram that I was vegan because I knew that I was going to get, you know what guys are like, you're going to get banter from people. You're going to get, you know, you, you have to be able to take that. Um, and, and it was difficult at the start because, you know, I, I get abuse from people and now it's like I brush it off and it's funny. But at the time it was quite, you know, it was, it was quite, it can be difficult, uh, difficult to deal with. Um, and I think now like the times are changing with that. I think we're more open now to people being who they, who they, who they want to be as a culture for sure. But there's still an element of, you know, not wanting to step outside of the, the, the conventional way of being undoubtedly Lou. one of your mantras is around value exchange how would you explain that to the listener um i think that in any so i, I feel that the way that we get the way that we um, get paid for example i think this is a really useful one if you're someone that works in a job or something has a, has a business we get paid in direct proportion to the value that we bring and i use this example you know when 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 you talk about 
and again, this is a top. This is quite a, con, uh, a hotly contested topic. But let's use, for example, footballers and doctors. Okay, so there's no question that in one sphere, which does not have a direct economic impact in this sense, doctors could be argued to add more value culturally than footballers. We could all agree that, right? You know, you're literally saving lives against kicking a footballer on a pitch. However, in the game and the economic construct that we live within, the reason footballers add more value economically is because there's a limited amount of people that can perform at that level. And there's a huge amount of people that will pay to watch those games. And therefore the, 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 uh, the culture, the economy rewards those people in a way that in a monetary sense is greater than they award doctors. Simple demand is by its economics. It's unemotional. Okay, so when we think about value, it's we get paid in direct proportion to the value that we bring. When we think about that from, from ourselves, we have to we understand then that we have to go out and add as much value as possible in order to receive value back. Now there's a balance. You don't want to be someone that's taken advantage of and you go and do everything for someone. But the way I look at exchanges, you know, I try and add more value than the other person. You know, if if we're working together, I want to try and add more value. And I like to see when that returned to me. So if we're ultimately, we're both trying to really add value to each other, I know it's going to be a really harmonious relationship. And I think that's a really good way to think about things. I also feel uncomfortable if I'm not adding as much value as the other person. I wouldn't want to go and find a way to do that. I think that's a really useful way to, to look at relationships and to look at business relationships. As, as a business, ultimately, you know, your job is to solve problems. Your job is to add value. If you're not adding value, then you can see the decline in the business. It's a powerful way to look at the dynamic that we have with others and your ability to strive to add more value. It leads to that like wonderful principle of reciprocity. And I know there's a large amount of you doing things not with reciprocity in mind, but importantly, it leads to that kind of circular effect where you both provide support to each other. And equally, you've just said there, there will be times where you give an awful lot more. And if you're dealing with a potential bad actor, then you identify straight away that they have no interest in providing any value to you or even a commensurate level of value to you and at yeah, that point you probably right. need to get that, get that feeling. you get that feeling right I, mean, I get that feeling now where i kind of know like intuitively when, when, when that's the case i think interestingly you, you made a good point about you know it, it, there's not the necessarily the intention for it to be reciprocated but ultimately also even when like if uh, if someone messaged me for like you know i i have like 16 17 year olds message me sometimes like well, what do you think about it i actually get a lot of value from thinking about what i would do and then telling you know saying what i think i would do because it helps me to remember those those kind of key principles as well you know so very often that there's a value exchange there there's also the principle of paying it forward do you know what i mean like there's people that have helped me in the past and, and not expected anything back and i think if we can all adopt the attitude where we're willing to pay it forward and willing to help people without the need for, for it to be reciprocated. It makes the world a better place as well. The position that you're in allows you to do that as well, Louis, and like feel some sort of gratitude that you're in a position to be able to do that as well. And that's not to say that it's like fulfilling your ego or supporting your ego, but it is important to be pleased that you've got to this particular place and now you're able to give back to young guys that are maybe asking for Self-awareness as well, right? It's like, it works both ways, self-awareness. So we can be, be aware of the things that, are, that have perhaps restricted us at times, of the things that hold us back. But ultimately, we should also be aware of the things that we that we have, that are assets, that are, that are valuable. And this is almost coached, again, coached out of us by a school system that says, you know, when you're at school, 
if you were, if, if someone said, oh, I'm really good, I'm really good at this, everyone would be like, big headed. You, you literally weren't socially allowed to say that and you're still not now. But if we're self-aware, we can say, these are the things that I'm good at. These are the things that I'm, I don't enjoy so much or I'm not as good at. And being able to do that without feeling like worrying about people thinking you're big headed is so important to, to understand for yourself, like what you're good at. And also to ask people like, you know, I've, I've got people that I'm close enough to that I can say to them, like, what, what do you think I'm really good at? And it not be weird, you know, that that's really valuable. Like from your observation, what am I good at? And you say it and you, and you let, you know, okay, yeah, that, that matches with what I thought. That's good. That validates how I thought. Or oh, I didn't think of that. But also to be aware of when you're aware of those things you're not good at. Because in a business situation, you know, if you're, if you're a leader in a business, be aware of the things that you're great at. It means that, you know, you focus on those and then you outsource or you delegate things you're not so good at. And that benefits the business and the situation. And, you know, I, I know, for example, like if I think what I'm good at, taking action on things. Like you know, I'm I'm someone that if I if I say something, I I will go and do it, or I'll find a way to do it. Uh, resi resilience, you know, when stuff gets hard, I'm one of these people that I will keep. Now these aren't things that if you look at those two things, the first two things I said, neither of those take any skill really. They're not skills. They're not like you know, I'm not like uber intelligent. They're things that are that are learned. They're behaviors. You know, I'm not I'm not great at accounting i'm not great with numbers I'm, I'm not you know uh engineering any of these things but i'm self-aware enough of those things i am good at and to double down on those and as i said they're not things that take a lot of skill but they're things that are at least from my observation a lot of the time they're lacking a lot of the time in people you know people that have i've heard people that have great ideas but they never do anything about it so sat on an idea for years and years and years about action in it, you know, or people that something bad happens to them and they stop their idea. Action and resilience overcome these two things. So they're, they're incredibly important things. And, and I feel these things have evolved through mistakes, through failures, through, through learnings. Um, and, and, and yeah. Really, really powerful way. I mean, I was, I was, I was wrapped in that there. And some of the things that were going on inside my head during that conversation Albeit I've I had a conversation specialist on, they were saying that sometimes just forget what you're thinking about and just take on board what you're saying. But the immediate thought that sprung to mind when you were talking about having people that can tell you your strengths and acknowledge your weaknesses, it's the opposite of having yes men around you because you have the confidence that you can ask them a genuine question and they might say something that really hurts your feelings. They might say something which is contradictory to your narrative there, Lou, that you're really good at taking action. There might be a short period where, Lou, we thought you procrastinated a little bit on that particular idea and you'll be like, shit, that's, that doesn't fit within who I define myself as. That's a good one to work through. That. I, have, I, have, I have this in relationship. I have this with my girlfriend sometimes. Okay. And this is, a, this is a really powerful one when it gets to this because you know, like I've, I've caught myself recently, for example, she, she, um, she won't mind me saying this either. We have the most open communication I've ever had with anyone. It's like, literally if, if I make her feel something, she will stop and tell me straight away. You said this, it made me feel like this. And I need you to know this is how it felt. And because of this, we resolve it there and then nothing, nothing stagnates and, and it gets worse and worse. So it was, it was along the lines of, I was talking about a, uh, a restaurant. So it's something to do with, the, with one of the restaurants. And uh, she was saying about how she would have done something. Oh, I thought this, I would have done it like this. And I asked for her opinion. It wasn't like she just came out of it. She was completing the right. I asked for her opinion. 
And because her opinion was different to mine, it triggered me. And I started going thinking, hang on a minute, I've been doing this for this long. I've done this, I've done this. And I caught myself and I was like, ah, okay. Do you know what I mean? It was, it's the, it's the exact, and I told her exactly then, what you know what was going on in my head then? I was felt triggered when you said that. And it, it challenged my belief of who, because it challenged my belief of who I was. And I was being questioned on something that I thought I was good at. And we have to train ourselves to be able to hear things that, that, that we disagree with and detach ourselves emotionally, particularly when we know the person that we're having the conversation with has our best interests at heart. Exactly. And that's such a key caveat, isn't it, Lou? Because you're always going to get people that want to knock you down. And we spoke there about the school system where if you openly said, well, I'm good at this you got tear, torn down. It's the tall poppy syndrome is a term we use in Scotland for it. It's very, very common. And the fact that you have such high levels of self-awareness that you noticed yourself be triggered by potentially your skill set being called into question, the narrative that you've told yourself, enabled you to move on from it straight away. Whereas many of us at lesser levels of consciousness will perhaps have gone through that and potentially had underlying friction stay there with that person for periods afterwards and almost you not be aware on a conscious level of, of, of why you're like, Oh, I don't want to ask her for advice again about the restaurant. I mean, with relationships, this is the number one thing, right? I mean, it's taken me, you know, probably 12 years of relationships to get to this point where I'm like, because and I, I can see in the past now how I've acted in a way that that's caused friction. And ultimately that friction is, 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 is has manifested itself the further down the line as something more serious for not speaking up and saying when something's been been triggering and not then well why has that been triggering like like you know like it may be a situation again i'm making this this situation up but it may be in a situation where you know you you send a message and someone replies in a way that, that you think is very blunt and you don't say anything but you so oh, they were being blunt back to me and that may be a result of trauma from a previous relationship when someone's been blunt and oh, what's actually happened is that person has been doing something that you don't want them to do or they shouldn't be doing, right? So you've taken that trauma into a new relationship. You've not spoken about how you feel. You've not spoken about what's caused it. And a week later, they'll do something that's miniature and you'll flip out. Whereas if you identify it when it happens is, I feel, well, I feel triggered. I feel a little bit anxious now that they've replied like this. Next time I see that, when I see him, I'm going to say, oh, when you sent a message, I felt a bit triggered. I think it's because in my last relationship, when this person did this, it made me feel like this. I don't want to put it onto you, but I'm telling you how, I'm telling you how I feel because I don't want it to be a problem for us. That authenticity, that honesty, you, you do it like that. And that person goes, oh, shit, actually, I know now that if I reply like that, they might think it's this. So I'm going to take that into account into how I reply. As, as an example, and this kind of open, honest conversation is 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 necessary for relationships, but also for work relationships, for friendships, and you know I think if we all are willing to speak our minds to that degree of of honesty. It makes the way that we interact with people so much easier, particularly when it comes to to modern technology as a form of communication, because often the way that a, a text message, as an example, or, or an Instagram message, or anytime there's just text on a screen. You could say that when you add a voice or a personality to it, it completely changes the way that it's said. So, you know, so you may say, I'm coming, maybe like, I'm coming. Or it might be like, I'm coming. Do you know what I mean? Like, waiting outside, like, why are they talking about that? Like, or, oh, they're on the way. Like, it's completely different, you know? So, totally. it's, I think it's so important, so important. 
I, I, I love that. And I think I can only have these conversations and these understandings with people who have got that level of consciousness that you've got. And I'm trying to work towards in many things that I do with my, my gratitude journaling and my, and my kind of self-exploration. But the fact that you are able to then share that and articulate that, one of the things you said was about when maybe like a 16 or 17 year old DMs you asking about like, what should I do? It reminds you of you what you're doing. And one of the greatest ways to reinforce how we are and how we behave is to teach on to others. I find it in fitness all the time. I find it with my habits. I find it with, oh, Colin, what would you do if a particular prospect or client said this to you on a cold email or said this to you on a cold call? I think, oh, I would do this. And then I'd say that. And it reinforces that lesson for me that I then practice down the line. And that relates really strongly to me because you're teaching me here about how you've improved within your relationship and best believe because you've done that way, I strongly believe that next time that comes up with your girlfriend, you will follow through in the exact way that you've just said because it's fresh and you've just articulated it brilliantly and thought it through yourself and exactly how it happened step by step. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. And I think, you know, communication is the number one thing in, in, in any relationship It's being able to accurately communicate. And like, my girlfriend's French, English is her fourth language. So it's made it even more challenging because she can get frustrated when she wants to say something and she doesn't necessarily know how to say it or I say something and interpret it. So it's been even more important, but that challenge has made it even better because I've really had to articulate it and say it in such a way that it, it, it comes across how I want it to come across. And, and, and you know, I'm, I'm grateful that in the past I haven't been able to do that because it's, it's taught me now how, how important it is at, at this time and it, it's made you know the world of difference and I think back you know I think back on times where it's been the same in business where I should have maybe said what I actually felt rather than hiding behind a persona or you know trying to orchestrate an outcome um and again going back to when we were younger it comes back to that thing you know speaking our truth when you say if you you suppress how you've and that's something like I'm good at this and you say you you know you suppress it to say oh yeah I'm, I'm, I'm not bad at that you're not speaking your truth. It goes back to trying to always, always speak your truth. Yeah, undoubtedly. What are some of the truths now that you maybe speak up more confidently than you wouldn't have done in the past? Um, I think I'm willing to say when I find, when I'm finding things challenging, although I use the correct words, I think before, you know, I didn't want anyone to think that I wasn't capable of doing something. So I would just say, yeah, I've got it. I've got it. It's fine. And I still do that. I still do that. But what I, what I say now is like, yeah, this is challenging. I acknowledge when it's difficult. I don't say I can't do it, but I say it's challenging. Or I say I can feel I'm in a state of stress, but I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna improve it by this. You know, I acknowledge I acknowledge that. And I think stress is a big one because many of us we're stressed so often that we don't even recognize when we are stressed. And stress is so bad, you know, it's, it's so bad for us physically. It's important to recognize and remedy when we are stressed. And then I think it feeds into having mantras you know to correct these feelings so you know thinking about being abundant like i'm, I'm abundant like six, you know, I, I expect great things and you know i feel healthy i feel great i think you know just telling yourself the, the, the these these positive things um is really really helpful to bring out bring about that feeling that happens in your meditation in morning and night during the day when stress hits like so for example some of the challenge you had with your restaurants opening during COVID, that must have been highly stressful, almost constant stress at times. Yeah. How do you manage that? 
they're, they're the reminders, those mantras in the meditation morning and evening, I go return back to them. So I expect the best thing to happen. This is happening for me, you know, when, and actually through COVID, it, we, it was incredible for the restaurants because we were able to really um, add a new level or new verticals to the business. We were able to really adapt. And, and uh, I think when people have come back after COVID, there's a new appreciation for restaurants and hospitality. I think, you know, it, it's actually been, we've been able to take it as a positive. And th those challenges have really given us a, a sense of belief as, as, as in the various teams that, okay, we overcame that. Now we're now we're, we've leveled up as a result, and so uh, I'm I'm grateful that that, that 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 it happens in the business sense of, of how it happened. Like it's been it's been uh, a, a couple of years of, of of real growth. Before I even asked that, Louis, I knew where the the answer was going to go because <laughs> because you, you you frame every challenge that you've had as the opportunity to move on to the next level, whether that was the unfortunate passing away of your of, of your friend at sixteen, or whether that's been um, not quite achieving what you wanted to within that nightlife sector and not feeling like you were accomplished enough all the way through to your restaurants being closed on and off for the best part of uh, of two years. I guess one of the last things I want to ask you about the restaurants is what have been some of the levelling up processes during this period that you're most proud of? I think we were, we were, very, we were very quick to adapt to the uh, dark kitchen delivery model. So we're very quick to, and I think this, again, this is, this is just trying to understand human behavior and not even to any degree of science, but essentially just predict what will happen. Okay. People will move back out to neighborhood areas. They'll spend more time at home. They'll be less, in, they won't be inclined to cook every day. Okay. Can we put kitchens in neighborhood locations? And with those kitchens, how do we sweat the asset? Can we put in a variety of concepts that will span the day, keep things interesting for the guys working, but also offer something different between breakfast, lunch, and dinner for people that might be ordering. You know, when it comes to digital products, can we create something that people can do it, can use at home? Um, you know, can we um, can we foresee how life might change post pandemic, and then adapt our business to meet that evolving need? Um, and so, and life has changed. And I think life will continue to change as a result. I think one of the benefits for us in the particular industry that we're in is that people are thinking in a more sustainable manner. I think people are more considerate of their health and well-being because we saw that people that were um, potentially um, less healthy suffer more with COVID. And as a result, they're seeking out healthier diets. And, you know, I think everyone can agree that a plant-based, a whole food plant-based diet has meets a lot of the health um, the criteria for for a healthy diet in terms of the natural foods, fruits and vegetables uh, content that's in there, and so it's actually put us in quite a quite quite a good position, I believe. That being said, there were there were times where you know it was challenging to the degree that I was like, I don't like it's, it's I don't know what's going to happen. Like you know I don't know if we're ever going to open again, which was you know, emotionally, you've put a lot into different various things and it can be challenging in that respect. But we're, you know, we're, again, leveling up with the resilience. It's like, cool, how can we attack it? How can we get through it? And, and, and that's kind of what happened. Yeah, beautifully summarized, Lou. And then my last question for you would be, if people want to continue the conversation with you, where should they head towards? And where are some of your restaurants for the listeners as well? Um, so actually, we just opened one in Edinburgh recently. So we've got one in, in Edinburgh, uh, Brighton, Norwich, London. Um, if 
for me, I'm trying to do more with Instagram. But again, this I guess this is a being a, being a self-aware thing. I'm very conscious that I don't want to come across as telling people how to live their lives or some like wannabe new age guru. But I am trying to share more about what I found useful for, for me because I, I guess when I speak to people, it's oh, why don't you post about that? Why don't you talk about that? I'd, I'd be interested in that. Um, I don't do it very often, but I do want to do more of it because I recognize perhaps through a, some unique experiences that I've had, I may have some insights or some experience that might be valuable. So yeah, Instagram, uh, Louis underscore Blake, um, trying to do, yeah, trying to do uh, more, more on there and have more of these kind of conversations, you know? Exactly that, Louis. Well, that'll be linked in the show notes below. Thank you once again for joining us, guys. If you have enjoyed this, please take a screenshot, pop it in your Instagram story, tag me at call.cambro, tag Louis at Louis underscore Blake, and I'll be back to speak to you all again very, very soon.